Good morning. First Church welcomes all of you back here this morning to our worship service. We thank you for joining us today. We also welcome those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. I do have several announcements before we start. First of all, I want to welcome back to First Church this morning, Katie Brodigan, who will be our guest pianist this morning. Katie is a music teacher at Salina Intermediate School. So thank you for joining us today, Katie. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. The Oglaise County Crisis Center Quilt of Hope is traveling to churches throughout Oglaise County, and today it is here at our church in the Heritage Room. The quilt is in honor of domestic violence victims and survivors and brings awareness to the issue. Today's offering will also go to the Oglaise County Crisis Center. Operation Christmas Child Packing Parties are happening this week in the Heritage Room. There is one today from 1 to 3 p.m., one on Wednesday, November 3rd, from 5 to 7 p.m., and one Saturday morning, November 6th, from 9 a.m. to noon. We're in the final two weeks. There are still boxes available in the entryways, or you can fill up a shoebox of your own. All boxes are due back here at First Church on November 14th. It is not too late to register for the mom event on Friday night. You can see the bulletin for more information, or you can talk to Allie Buckland or our youth pastor, Choi. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. Please take the time to look them over and see if any of them might be of interest to you. And now as we start our service this morning, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship. This morning is taken from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Please remain standing for opening hymn this morning. Number 26, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
may be seated. Now will the children come forward for the children's chat with Maria Lammers? Good morning. How are you guys today? All right, we're going to wait just a second because we have some more friends coming down from up in the balcony. So are you guys excited for today? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, home and kids. There they are. All right. So I have a question. How many of you would like to be rich when you grow up? Yeah? You guys would like to be rich? How um, what would you do with all of your money if you were rich? Spend it? Share it? Hmm, what would you spend it on? Cars? Food? What? Clothes? Okay. Some of you said you were going to share it. That was very thoughtful of you. You would buy ice cream. Miles, I am with you. We could get a lot of ice cream. Okay, we could drive a fancy car if you're rich or live in a big house with a swimming pool or fly around the country or the world. And that that would be pretty fun, wouldn't it? Now, how many of you would like to be poor when you grow up? No? I don't see any hands. If you were very, very poor, you might not have a house to live in. You might have to sleep on the streets or in a box. Make make your own home out of junk. Yep. You might have to rely on other people to give you your food to eat. Okay. And sometimes you even see people holding signs that say, we'll work for food. Okay. And do you think you would have a car to drive? No, probably not. Now, you know what? There's nothing wrong with being rich, and there's nothing wrong with being poor. Being rich does not mean you're going to be happy. And being poor does not mean that it's going to be a horrible life, that you're going to be unhappy. Okay? Now, in our Bible story today, we are, Jesus tells about a man, the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, and I want to share this with you, and I want you to pay close attention, okay? Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. He had everything he needed. His belly was full. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Now Lazarus lay there, and he was hoping that he might receive just, a, you know, like the table scraps like what you don't want to eat. He, he, that's all he was wanting was just a little bit of food. But you know what? Lazarus was covered with sores. And the dogs would come out and lick his sores. And the rich man, rich man never offered him anything. He just like kind of looked over the top of him and pretended like he wasn't even there. In the story, Jesus told Lazarus finally died. And was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham in the heavenly banquet. And even though he had nothing on this earth, he trusted God to take care of him. And that is exactly what happened. Lazarus had everything he needed in his heavenly home. Where's that at? In heaven. Yeah. Okay. Now, remember that rich man? Well, he died too and he was buried. And the place where the rich man went, well, let's just say it was pretty hot there. And I'm guessing you can figure out where that is. It's it's not up, it's down. Yeah. So the rich man looked up into heaven and he saw Abraham with Lazarus standing by his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus down and let his dip his finger into cool in water to cool my tongue. And Abraham answered, don't forget. That when you were living, you had all your good things, and Lazarus had nothing. Now he is well cared for, and you are in great pain. 
And besides, there is a deep ditch between us, and no one from either side can cross over. So here is our important lesson to learn. All the money in the world won't buy your way into heaven. You can be the richest person in the world, and that is not going to guarantee that you are going to get into heaven. The only way we can get into heaven is by putting our faith in God and believing in God. Okay? And when we do that, God is going to provide everything we need. So it doesn't matter what we have on this earth, rich or poor or somewhere in between. It's when we get to heaven. That is our reward. Okay? So let's say a quick quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these eager minds and hearts to learn this morning. Please help us to understand that more is not always better and to be happy with what we have. Please be with these children. Keep us safe as we go out and celebrate trick-or-treat this afternoon. And... Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. As we turn our attention to our, our time of offering this morning, just want to remind you of what Jack shared with our with you this morning. Our offering does go to support the Auglaise County Crisis Center. If you get a chance to check out the Quilt of Hope, which is over there in the Heritage Room on your way out of the service this morning, there's some information over there about what it is and and why they are raising awareness about that this month. So our offering today, if you're able to give, uh, is going to go to support the ministry that they have helping people uh, who are in need. I just want to take this opportunity to just say thank you for everyone who has helped plan and participated in our wonderful Wednesday this past week. Uh, for We did something a little bit different. Uh, for those of you who weren't there, we had our normal meal like usual, which is always delicious and great and wonderful, but we also had some fun activities for kids and families to enjoy uh, to celebrate you know, God's provision and faithfulness um, at Harvest this year. So great opportunity. So thanks to everyone who, who participated in that and planned. It was a great night, great time of fellowship together as a church family. And one more thing, this is just a thought that's been floating through my head recently, but have you guys noticed whenever the children are invited forward for children's chat, the choir comes up at that time too? I don't know if there's a connection there or not, but every time they invite children to come forward, these wonderful people come forward too. We're so blessed to have them offering up the offertory music again this morning, and I invite our deacons to come forward at this time.
Amen. What a great reminder this morning. We choose Christ no matter what we face in this life, and he will always be there for us. Let's continue to worship him now as, and continue to sing about that assurance we have in him and all that he's done for us. Our next hymn is number 345, Blessed Assurance. Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you that we thank you for all of who you are and all of what you've done for us. We thank you for the blessed assurance that we have in you and you alone. Lord, help us to help that truth, help that hope be our story today and every day. That we are praising you, not just for your blessings, not just for what you've done for us uh, in this world, but, but simply for who you are and the hope that we have in you. Lord God, you are good. You are faithful. And we choose to put our trust and our hope in you, even if our circumstances encourage us to do something else. Even if, even if everything around us seems to be crumbling and falling apart, we choose to trust you, our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. We choose to trust you, Lord, because your promises are true and sure, even in the midst of our doubts and questions. Lord, we stand here today, we lift up our voices in one accord, and we say we trust you, we believe in you. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Help us in our doubts, help us in our questions to put our trust in you in every circumstance. Lord, we are here today on this uh, anniversary of Reformation Sunday, over 500 years ago on this day, uh, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, Lord, sparking the Reformation. We stand here in that tradition, in that faith, Lord, trusting in you, always working and always reforming us. Lord, help us to be always seeking your truth and your word always striving to be closer to you in everything that we do, always striving to, to, to build on the solid foundation of your word, Lord, and make that the ultimate authority of our life and our faith. Lord, help us to continue to strive to, to serve you and to, to know you and love you in this world as a church family, but also as individuals. 
Lord, we come before you knowing all of those things to be true. We, we trust you, Lord, not just with our, we of course trust you with our eternal hope and our eternal joy and our eternal peace. But we also trust you, Lord, in the, in the everyday details of our lives. And so we lift up our prayers and concerns to you. We ask, Lord, that you would work and move in our lives according to your will and not our own. For those that are in need of healing, we pray for, for healing through, through, Lord, ordinary means as well as miraculous means, Lord. We, we pray for provision, Lord, in ordinary ways, but also through those unexpected ways that you often provide. We pray that you would bless this offering that we just collected. Lord, that it would be a, a, a positive influence in the lives of those who are in need of help. And Lord, may you continue to work in and through us as a church family to share your good news with those who need to hear it. Lord, we pray also this day for those in authority over us as your word calls us to do. And we pray for our local governments. We pray for our, our, our local uh, New Knoxville, the village of New Knoxville administrators and mayor and, and all those in our surrounding communities as well and at the county level. We ask for your wisdom and guidance in, in their decision-making, and thank you, Lord, for their servant leadership in many ways. We also ask for your prayer for those that are in ministry here at First Church in New Knoxville. We thank you this day for our Sunday school teachers and children's chat leaders and all those who work with our young children here. What a blessing, Lord, it is to see kids up here for children's chat and see, see the kids in Sunday school class every Sunday after church. And we know, Lord, that those ministries wouldn't be possible without the selfless volunteering of these adults. Uh, and we, so we thank you for their ministry and pray that you bless and encourage and equip them to do the work you've called them to do. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as the people are destined to die once... And after that, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Thank you, Maria. Let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word here. Um, we thank you for the truth of your word and, uh, and in the ways that it comforts us and, and equips us, but also challenges us, Lord. And as we look at your word here today, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move in this place, to give me words to speak and open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you all remember, and, and I'm dating myself in, in one way or another to, to most of you here today, but I remember when I was in uh, high school, I was just learning to drive and had my own car, which had, you know, nothing but a, a, a radio in it, no CD player or anything like that. And, and my, my way, my freedom, right, was to get out and drive around and get to, get to go to places. And, and I always loved listening to the music in the car. And there was a local radio station um, that we often listen to this Christian station, but also some secular stations. And right around that time, the song I Can Only Imagine was released. I don't know if you remember that song. It's a very popular song still today uh, by Mercy Me. And that song was so popular, right? It wasn't just on the Christian radio stations. It was basically on every radio station, the country stations, the popular music stations. It was everywhere. You could probably scan through the radio and find it multiple times as you were flipping through channels, uh, flipping through the stations. And that song was so popular because it struck a chord with people about the hope that we have in Christ, right? It struck it, it struck at something internal, and whether people recognize it as a Christian hope or not, they recognize it, it struck a chord because because we long for more than this life has to offer, right? And I, I think I can speak to that in in general terms, right? Not just a Christian hope, but 
But the way that God wired us, the way that God designed us, we're designed for more than what this life has to offer. We were made for something more. Right? And the song, I can only imagine, struck a chord because it spoke to that need that we all have within us, that God-given desire for more than this life has to offer. And the song was very powerful. You know, it's, imag- it's, it's imagining, or, or according to the title, not being able to imagine what this person would do when they, when they step in front of Jesus for the first time, when they enter into his glory, when they, when they enter into heaven. You know, are they gonna are they gonna dance for joy? Are they gonna are they gonna sing? Are they gonna be struck silent in the presence of God? Are they gonna be able to stand in His presence, or or are they gonna fall to their knees in awe and amazement of who Jesus is? The song continues to be popular today, like I said, because it it speaks to that desire to know more, right? To to that this life is not all there is. And I believe that that desire is true even in our very secular world today, right? In one sense, we, we culture as a whole looks out and says, all you see is all you get, right? What you, can, what you can see, what you can sense, right, with your five senses is all you get, and there's nothing more to it. And there's many people who, who live into that narrative. But I believe that, that God designed us to, to long for more than that. Right? God designed us with a desire for more. Look at like some of the most popular movies right? in, 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 in popular fiction over the past decade or two. Right? It's stories of superheroes right? and, and set in fantasy settings where, where there's power and, 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 some, and, and more hidden beneath the surface. Right? Whether it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe or popular movies like Lord of the Rings, right? There's, there's more to life than what you see. And those stories strike a chord with people because they, they point to that need, that desire that God has placed in us to seek him and to know him, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. As we continue to journey through our faith statement, we're going to be talking about the destiny of man. That's what we've labeled this section of the faith statement. We've talked over the last several weeks about, about the reality of sin in this world, right? The fall and, and the effect that sin has on, on all of creation, but also as on us as individuals, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And the last week we talked about where that salvation comes from, right? It doesn't come from ourselves. It's, it, we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't earn our place in God's family. Our salvation comes in and through Jesus Christ. Right? He is the sole basis for our salvation. His life, his death, his resurrection, the grace that he extends to us is our eternal hope. And so today we're going to continue on down that, that path of conversation and talk about our, for lack of a better term, eternal destiny, the destiny of man, where, what we have to look forward to. So I want to read the faith statement like I've done every other week, read the paragraph from there. And then we're going to jump into some scripture to to help us unpack what we believe and why we believe it. So from our faith statement, this is section 8 out of 10, the destiny of man. It says, we believe that all people will face judgment after they die. At death, believers immediately enter the presence of Christ and remain there in joyful fellowship. And unbelievers returns those who trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord will be resurrected to eternal life. Those who reject Christ will be resurrected to eternal damnation. Uh, We're going to look at several different passages here today, but you see our our jumping off point is from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. That's what Maria just read for you. Um, And it reminds us, it's a very short passage, very simple, especially compared to some of the ones that we've looked at more recently. This one is very straightforward and to the point. And, And the author of Hebrews reminds us, that, that those, that people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And, and so today I, I know this is probably uncomfortable and I know that this is probably not the encouraging pep talk that everybody maybe, you know, needs on a Sunday morning. But we need to start with a very real fact, right? That all people are destined to die. All right, let's, let's just get right to the point. Let's, let's avoid the awkwardness if we can, right? Death is a certainty for all of us. 
There's an old saying that the, the only things that you can count on in life are death and taxes, right? We're not here to talk about taxes today, so we're going to talk about the other side of that equation. But we don't like to talk about it, right? We like to avoid that conversation, right? In, in our culture as a whole, we just avoid any talk of, of death and, and what that means for us. Right, we keep it at arm's length and we come up with other euphemisms to talk about it rather than talk about it bluntly. Right? We talk about people passing away. We talk about uh, going to sleep. Right? We've talk, we talk about um, anything but naming it what it is. Death. But it's a common fate that all people will experience. Right? And, and none of us can escape from it. No matter how healthy of a life we live, no matter how much we avoid danger, the reality is we will all face our own mortality. And that's what Hebrews reminds us of, that all people are destined to die. But that doesn't have to be a, a morbid thought, right? That doesn't have to, to be a discouraging thought. It can lead to a life of wisdom and understanding. In Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Right? In other words, that when we think about our own mortality, it doesn't have to discourage us. It doesn't have to depress us. It can help us gain the wisdom that God has for us. Right? That if we understand that we are all mortal, that we will all face the reality of death one day, it can teach us to live well now, to live in light of that reality. And though death is our common fate, we don't want to forget that death itself is the result of sin in the world and is therefore outside of God's original plan, right? So there's this kind of tension here in what we're talking about here today. Death is, is a reality in the world that we face, that we all will face, but yet it's a reality of the world that is a direct result of sin in the fall, right? Think back to where we were a couple weeks ago talking about the Garden of Eden, right? God made everything very good, Right? And, and the one thing he told Adam and Eve not to do was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what was the punishment that God attached to that, to the, to that restriction? If you eat from it, you will certainly die. Right? And that's what happened. Death entered the world through that original sin. Death is the result of sin in this world. Therefore, you know, death is still evidence, right? The it, that we live in the fallen, that we live in a fallen world, right? Death is a is a is a reminder of this fallen world that we live in. That we are still affected by the reality of sin, but death does not have the final say. In First Corinthians 15, this great chapter where Paul talks about the resurrection and the hope that we have, he says that death is the last enemy that will ultimately be defeated. And death has been defeated on the cross. When Jesus gave up his life, when he died in our place, he won victory over the enemy, right? He won victory over sin, and he also won victory over death, right? Death is the result of sin. Therefore, if sin is dealt with, death is dealt with as well. At the cross, Christ destroyed the power of death, and when he returns to establish his kingdom, death itself will be killed. Death will be a thing of the past and the new heavens and the new earth. Right? That's something to be thankful for, right? That is something to look forward to. In Revelation 21, which we'll get back to here in a moment, when, when the new heavens and the new earth are established, it, said, it says death itself will be a thing of the past. Death will be no more, right? And that's something to be thankful for and to look forward to. Death is the ultimate uh, punishment, the ultimate uh, consequence of sin. So when the, the new heavens and the new earth are established, death will be no more. So Hebrews very bluntly reminds us that, that death is something we will all face. But it also reminds us that, that Christ, uh, Christ will come again. So he says that, that, that just as people are destined to, face, to die once and and after that, to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. All right, the Bible is very clear, and we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. The Bible is very clear that Jesus will come again. Now, the Bible is very 
very adamant that we don't know the details of when he's going to come or the exact circumstances of when he will come. But the Bible is overwhelmingly clear that Christ will come again. Right? That is that is a sure hope that we have. And when Jesus returns, we want to be ready for it. Jesus himself says that he doesn't that no one knows the day or the hour. The New, the New Testament and other places describe Christ's return as coming like a thief in the night. It will come unexpectedly, so we better be prepared for him when he returns. And when he returns, he will establish his kingdom and bring heaven to earth. I mentioned Revelation 21 and 22 already. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful description of, this, of what heaven is going to be like. Right? It's, it's heaven coming down to earth. We'll talk a little bit more here in a, in a minute about, about this hope we have to look forward to. But one of the things that's very clear from Revelation is that, is that when Jesus returns, he's going to establish his kingdom here in this place. Everything is going to be recreated to reflect his glory. We pray the Lord's Prayer together every day, or every, every week, but possibly every day as well, right? And we ask the Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We pray that, pleading for God to make that a reality. And one day when Christ returns, it will be a reality. And so this passage here talks about Christ's two comings. His first coming was, to, was that Jesus came to bear sin. Right? He died once to take away the sins of many. Right? We talked about that last week in detail. It was Christ's death on the cross, his sacrifice for us that earned our salvation. So when Jesus came the first time, it was, to, it was to lay down his life for us. It was to make a way for his people to be brought back into relationship with the Father. And when Christ comes again, he says to, it's to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus will return to, in essence, complete or finish what he started. The work was done on the cross, but when Jesus comes again, he will fully establish his kingdom here in this place. And so that means that we currently are, are kind of living between the times. You know what I mean by that? We're living between the time when Christ came and died on the cross for us, won the victory over sin and death and the enemy. But yet we are still waiting for him to return in full, kind of an, with, with feet on both sides of the fence, right? We're living in one sense in Christ's kingdom already. We've been saved, we've been redeemed, and we can experience that in the salvation that God offers us in Christ. We can experience that through a relationship with him through his Holy Spirit. But yet our other foot is still very much in this world that is affected by sin, right? And we still experience the realities of sin every day in our own lives, right? As we struggle to, to be obedient to the Lord, as we struggle to live for him, and we also still experience it in the world that we live in, right? Just turn on the news. Look at what's going on in the world around us. Sin is very much still a reality. And so we live in that, that tension, in the already but not yet kingdom of God. But when Jesus returns, right, he will come to deal with the reality of sins. When he returns, that sin will be removed. That's what Hebrews is, is teaching us. It's, it's, it's both... Reminding us of the reality of our own mortality, the reality of death in this world, but also the hope that we have in Christ, that Christ will return to establish his kingdom. So you may ask, well, what, what happens though? Like, what does that mean for us? Where, how does that play, play itself out? Well, there's a couple things that I want to I wanna talk about here today that the faith statement touches on. Uh, one is what's called... Uh, maybe this is a term you've not heard before, but it's often referred to as the intermediate state. And that is the question, that, that is the question of what happens to us after we die. Right? So, so again, part of that reality of living between Christ, Christ's first and second coming is that, and the reality of death in the world, is that there's many of us, right, all of us, will experience death before Christ's return. There will be some, of course, we don't know when the day or the hour will be, that some will experience Christ's return when they're still alive. And for them, it, the Bible describes being brought, gathered together with God's people in that moment. But, but 
until that day comes, we will all face the reality of death. And the question may come up, well, what happens to those who die before Christ returns? Well, the Bible isn't exactly maybe straightforward with that answer, but there, are, there is some evidence in Scripture that, that, to, that when we die, those who die in Christ are immediately brought into the presence of the Lord and wait there with Him until His return. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as Paul talks about, about the longing to be with Christ, you know, the, that this, it's a very familiar passage to us about how we, we set aside this earthly tent we live in and long to be clothed with, with a dwelling not made by human hands, but made by God, right? Paul's looking ahead to our next life. He says in verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? Paul had an understanding that, that when we set aside this mortal life, when we, when we die, we enter immediately into Christ's presence. And Jesus himself talked about that as well. As Jesus was, was hanging on the cross, he was crucified with two other individuals right, on his right and his left. There were two other criminals who were justly being punished for their crimes. One of them ridiculed and mocked Jesus, but the other looked to the Lord and, and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You remember what Jesus' response was? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Right? Not when I return, not sometime in the future, but Jesus promised him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So we have this, this hope that, that when, we, when we pass away, when we die, we immediately enter into the presence of the Lord. Although the Bible's not exactly clear what that means, it seems that there is some sort of uh, conscious awareness of being in the presence of the Lord immediately after death. What that means is when you close your eyes in this world, you'll immediately open them in the presence of your Savior and Lord. Like the loving father in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus is waiting there, right, with open arms to welcome us into his kingdom. There's comfort in that. Right? There's peace in that. That for those that are in Christ, that, that, that are facing the, the reality of their own mortality, there is a moment that will come when this life passes away and you're immediately ushered into the presence of the Lord. The other reality that this passage points us to is the reality of God's judgment. Like death, this is a topic that we don't always like to talk about and is not easy maybe to talk about, not, not a great topic around the dinner table on Sunday evening, right? Well, what did you talk about in church today? Well, we talked about death and judgment. Great, right? But it is important to talk about. Just like it's important to recognize our own mortality, it's also important to recognize the reality of God's judgment. And it's specifically God's judgment towards sin. Just as all people are destined to die, so all people are destined to face judgment. And notice the point, there's, there's a direct uh, connection here, logical sequence. You die once, and then after that you face judgment. In other words, I think the author of Hebrews is trying to make clear that there are no second chances, no second go-arounds. We don't believe, as Christians, we don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe in, in you know, other, other modes of, of second chances like that. The reality is we have one life to live, right? We have a, we have this life that God has given us. And so what we do with this life matters because when we move on from this life, we'll face the judgment of our sin. You know, think of the, the story that, that Maria shared with us uh, with, with children's chat from Luke chapter 16, this parable that Jesus describes uh, the, the two men, one who was rich in this life but was ultimately destined for hell and another that was poor in this life that was ultimately destined for heaven, right? This great reversal there that takes place. And it's interesting, and this is just a side note, but, but in all of Jesus' parables, in all the parables that Jesus tells, and he tells a lot of them, there's only one character in his parables that's ever given a name. And it's Lazarus here in this parable. He's the only one that's, that's given a name in Jesus' parables. And he's the, in, in this life, right, he was nothing but in, in the presence of the Lord, he was given a name, he was given an identity. The Lord knew exactly who he was. But that parable also teaches us that, that this life is our chance to repent and turn to Christ. That after this, there is no chance. 
This life is our chance to repent and turn to the Lord. And when this life is over, that's it. But the question then is, what is the basis for that judgment? Right? What are we going to be judged on? And, and the Bible is pretty clear that we will be judged according to what we have done. Right? According to our sins. We'll be treated, in one sense, as our sins deserve. Now let me tell you right now, that is not good news for us. Right? Myself included. Because if we are treated according to what we have done, if we are treated according to how our sins deserve, then, then there's not going to be many of us right in heaven with the Lord. Because if we are treated fairly according to what we have done, none of us have earned our place in God's, in God's family, in God's kingdom. We talked about that the last couple weeks. Left to our own devices, none of us will have our names written in the book of life that is described in Revelation 20. But we can have confidence in our salvation. And here again is where we, I, I want you to listen very carefully. Of all the things that we talk about today, this is what you need to hear. Because when you stand before the throne, this great white throne judgment described in, in Revelation 20, when, when God will finally judge evil for what it is, when, when the enemy himself and all of his angels will be cast into the lake of fire. This is what we have to have confidence in. When we stand before the throne and the Father looks at you, he won't see your sins. He won't see the evil and selfish things you've done. If you are in Christ, those things have been removed. Scripture says that, you have been, that they have been separated as far as the east is from the west. Scripture says that our sins have been buried at the bottom of the sea. That God remembers your sins no more. Now think about that one for a second. The all-powerful, all-knowing God who creates and sustains the universe promises to forget our sins. So when the Father looks at you, as you're standing before the throne of God, standing in judgment for all that you have done, when the Father looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees the perfect righteousness and faithfulness of His Son. He sees the righteousness that Jesus earned through his obedient life and through his sacrificial death. He sees that righteousness applied to you. That's what salvation is. That's the hope we have to look forward to. It's not who I am and what I've done. It's all about who Jesus is and what he's done for me. That's our hope. Right? That's the confidence we have in our salvation. That's the blessed assurance that we sing about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so it's about putting our trust and faith in him and receiving that for ourselves. I saw a post recently, and I can't even remember where I saw it, but it was a, it was a reference to the Passover. Right, if you're familiar with the story of the Passover in Exodus, when God was rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt, the last of the ten plagues was the plague of the firstborn. Every firstborn child in Egypt was, was going to be killed in one night as judgment from God on those people. And God, but God provided a way for, for the Israelites to be saved. They had to sacrifice a lamb, right, and take some of the blood from that sacrifice and smear it on the door frames of that house. And when God, when the angel, it says when the angel saw the blood smeared on the door frame, he would pass over that home and those inside would be saved. Now God wasn't checking to see who was inside the house. Right? God wasn't checking to see whether those people inside the house qualified. All God was doing was looking to see whether the blood was applied to the doorframe. And that's what our salvation is. That's the hope we have. It's not, it's not in us. It's in whether we have accepted and received Christ's shed blood on the cross and what he's done for us. I want to quickly, um, quickly cover a few things. So we've talked about, talked about where our hope lies, but also need to take a few moments to reflect on, on what Scripture teaches about our, those two eternal destinations. And first, I want to take a moment to describe what uh, the punishment that is in store for Satan and his angels and all those who reject Christ. Right? What comes to mind when you think of hell? What comes to mind when you think of that? Most of our understanding of hell comes from popular fiction, not the Bible, whether it's Dante's Inferno or, or other popular, you know, popular works of fiction. But the punishment that is in store for Satan and his angels is total separation from God. 
right? If God is the source of all life and joy and light and hope and peace, then hell is the total opposite of those things, the total absence of those things. Anything and everything that is good and, and joyful and peaceful and comforting in this life will be removed and will be left with, with nothing. It's ironic that we are talking about this subject on Halloween, right? Tell you what, the most frightening thing in this world is not monsters or ghosts or all the other things that people may celebrate on this day. The most frightening thing in all of reality is eternal separation from, from the Father. Eternal, eternally separated from Him. He is the source of everything good, and I can't imagine a worse fate for anyone else to experience. But the opposite of that, right, if, if hell is, is the total and complete absence of God and separation from him, then heaven is the, is, is, is the God's presence with his people. So looking ahead to Revelation 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth that are established, right, God is restoring what was lost in the fall. If hell is the total absence of God and everything good, then heaven is the opposite of that. It is dwelling completely in the presence of God with his people. Perfect fellowship with him. No more sin and the effects of sin. No more barriers separating us from God. And it's important to know that, that heaven is not some disembodied experience. It's not our, our spirit floating around in, you know, in the ether. It's not floating on clouds playing harps. Right? That's not the heaven that is described in Scripture. It is, it is a real physical world. God recreating what was lost in the fall and its fellowship with God and his people. And it's not going to be boring, right? Anyone who said, I remember I used to have youth kids tell, say that, well, heaven's going to be so boring, right? Just sit around all day singing, singing songs, right? Anyone who says that heaven is boring just doesn't understand what it's going to be like. Real description, read the descriptions of God's presence in the Bible, whether it's Moses on Mount Sinai or Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration or the descriptions of the throne room in chapters like Revelation 4. There is nothing boring or mundane about those experiences. We will love and worship and serve the Lord together. And it's never ending, right? We can't really wrap our minds around eternity, right? Eternity means no beginning and no end, right? So when we talk about this life, Right? I, I, I kind of dated myself earlier. I don't let the gray hair fool you. I'm only 34. Right? It seems like a long time that I've been living. But that is just a blink. That is nothing compared to eternity. Amazing Grace is one of my favorite hymns. And the, and the last verse of that says, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Think about that. 10,000 years will be nothing. It will be a drop in the ocean of eternity. We'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. People say that this life is all there is, but Scripture clearly teaches that this life is, 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 a, is a breath. It's a vapor. It's withered, withering grass compared to eternity. right? And so we need to make sure we know and believe and have confidence in where we're going to spend that eternity. A few closing points. Um, we need to remember that this life matters, right? It seems counterintuitive after a sermon based on the destiny of man and where you'll be spending eternity, but, but we need to remember that, that this life does matter. Don't waste it. Know, love, and serve the Lord now because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Don't put it off until it's too late. For those in Christ, right, this life is the closest to hell that you'll ever experience. But for those outside of Christ, this is the closest to heaven that they'll ever be. Do you want your name in the book of life? Do you want to have confidence that when you stand before the throne, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see your mistakes, he only sees the perfect righteousness of Christ? If you want your name in the book of life, you just need to put your trust in him today. Receive the grace that God is offering each one of us. We say we're sorry for our sins. We say thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross in my place. And we say help me, Lord, to now live for you from this point forward. The reality of eternity also encourages us to, to evangelize. And I shared this last week when we talked about salvation, so I won't dwell on this very long. If everything that we say today is true, then we have an obligation 
We have a responsibility to share this good news with everyone we know. Right? The loving thing to do for someone is to share the hope that we have in Christ. Not in a judgmental way, right? Not in a turn or burn or, or, or soapbox megaphone kind of way, right? There's plenty of that out there in the world that in, in a lot of Christ-like, caring way, share the good news and the hope that we have in him. And the last thing I will share before we move on to our closing song is that we can practice for eternity now. Right? If we're going to be spending eternity worshiping the Lord, if we're going to be spending eternity serving him and loving him and knowing him, if we're going to be spending eternity in fellowship with God's people, then we should start practicing that now, right? We should desire to know him more. We should desire to, to serve him and love him. Colossians 3 reminds us that we should set our sights on heaven, not on earthly things. Set our sights on Christ who is, who is seated in the heavenly realms, right? And, and not focus so much on what's going on in the world around us. Not that this world doesn't matter, it does. But it matters in light of eternity. If we set our sights on Christ, if we keep our hope, our eternal hope on Him, then everything else will make sense in light of that. And we'll be able to live well now, live faithfully now, based on that reality. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your good news. Lord, as we tackle a very difficult subject, a very hard subject, we thank you for, for the clear hope that you've made, us, made for us, the clear promises you made us in your word. We thank you for passages like John 14, 6, which, which Jesus reminded us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way for us that there is a way for us to be saved and redeemed. And it's not based on our good works. It's not, we're not disqualified from it based on our sin. We are, we are made new through your sacrifice and your resurrection. We thank you for that hope and pray now that we would live in light of it. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service today, I invite you to stand and let's sing our closing hymn, number 195, Nothing But the Blood.
this is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. May the may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. You may go in peace. Thank you.